BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. True crime, unsolved cases, strange disappearances. Join me as we travel through the timeline of some of the darkest acts in human history. I'm your host, Kevin Eustace, and welcome to the second season of The Deadly Countdown. Episode 9, Jennifer Pan, Killers for Hire. Families can do many things to our emotions, They can make us ecstatically happy, and they can push us to the brink of madness. And that's what families are all about. That's what relationships are all about. They test our boundaries. They push us to our limits in both a positive and a negative way. However, very few people on the planet physically act on those boundaries if they feel they've been overstepped. What we normally do is maybe slam a door. We maybe go for a walk. We maybe don't talk to the person for a few weeks. Or, in Jennifer Pan's case, we hire someone to kill our family members. Yes, today we'll take a deep dive into the psyche of Jennifer Pan and try and get to the bottom of why she done what she did. That being trying to wipe her mother and father off the face of the earth. But before we do so, a big hello and welcome to our penultimate episode of Season 2. I'm Kevin Eustace, your host... And thank you for joining me so far on our second season. As stated last week, I'm fairly new to the true crime genre and therefore we will be looking at implementing some changes going forward from season three. Namely, I'll be inputting a bit more of my own opinion on the cases we cover. Why? Well, two reasons really. First and foremost, I think podcasts work better when you know me a bit better, and I know you a bit better. So, we'll start to loosen things up. And secondly, over the past two seasons, we've covered some of the most horrific acts that have ever taken place. And I, as a human being, with opinions, feelings and emotions, have wanted to interject at several points with my opinions. But... I've tried to keep it a little bit more scripted, 
However, in doing so, although I found the topic fascinating, I found the recording to be a bit monotonous. And I don't want that. I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me. So moving forward, we're going to see a lot more of my personality coming through on these recordings, for better or for worse. However, as I've already scripted episode 9, being this one, and the season finale, the change won't take place until season 3. Something we can all look forward to, I'm sure. And that was an attempt at sarcasm. Or a glimpse through the door at future episodes. Anyway, before we move on, we need to of course thank our wonderful team over at Patreon. Now when you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, you can also gain access to our Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case. Cold Case is released each and every fortnight, and we take a deep dive into some of the most famous unsolved mysteries and crimes of history. But the best thing about Patreon is that we're building a wonderful group of like-minded, true crime enthusiasts right over there on Patreon. And so if you like your discussions on true crime to be both non-judgmental and also in a safe space where there's no place for experts, then head over to patreon.com forward slash the deadly countdown. But with our introductions out of the way for our penultimate episode of season two, for Jennifer Pan, let's begin the deadly countdown. On today's show, we venture together into a narrative that not only captivates with its complexity, but also challenges our preconceptions about family, ambition, and the lengths to which desperation can push the human soul. Our subject is the case of Jennifer Pan a story that unfolds like a Greek tragedy in the heart of suburban Canada, revealing the dark underbelly of high expectations and the devastating consequences of betrayal. So, join me as we dissect the layers of this chilling saga, from Jennifer's facade of perfection to the unravelling of a plot so sinister it would leave her family shattered and her community in disbelief. Born and nurtured in the quiet suburban landscapes of Markham, Ontario, Jennifer Pan's story begins as a tapestry woven with the vibrant threads of hope and the stark colours of expectation. Born the daughter of Bish Ha and Huai Han Pan, Vietnamese immigrants who sought the sanctity and promises of a new beginning in Canada, Jennifer's life was emblematic of a dream much larger than herself. This dream, deeply rooted in the immigrant ethos of sacrifice and resilience, was nurtured in the fertile grounds of opportunity that Canada offered. From her earliest days... Jennifer's journey was meticulously charted by her parents, who, like many immigrants before, bore the scars of their own unfulfilled dreams and the heavy burden of displacement. 
They viewed Canada not just as a refuge, but also as a crucible for the realisation of their aspirations. Aspirations that were now intrinsically linked into their daughter's path. Bisha and Huao Han Pan instilled in Jennifer a profound sense of duty and a relentless pursuit of excellence. Traits, they believed, were essential for success in their adopted homeland. The expectations placed upon Jennifer were not merely academic. They were a microcosm of the broader immigrant struggle for identity and acceptance. Her parents' dreams were freighted with the collective hopes of a generation striving to carve out a space in a land far removed from the cultural landscapes of their birth. Jennifer's upbringing, therefore, was not just about achieving personal milestones, it was about embodying the success story that every immigrant family yearns to tell. In this environment... Jennifer's achievements were more than personal triumphs. They were the vindication of her parents' sacrifices and the tangible proof of the immigrant dream's attainability. However, this narrative, whilst inspiring, carried with it an immense pressure. The weight of her parents' unfulfilled aspirations rested heavily on her shoulders transforming every academic challenge and extracurricular activity into a pivotal battleground for her family's hopes and dreams. This relentless pursuit of excellence, driven by the dual engines of gratitude and obligation, set the stage for Jennifer's life. It was a life that, from the outside appeared to be a beacon of success and a testament to the power of hard work and determination. Yet, beneath the surface, the pressures of living up to such monumental expectations began to weave a complex web of challenges and internal conflicts, marking the beginning of a journey that would eventually lead down a path fraught with deception and tragedy. Jennifer's childhood and adolescence were a high-wire act performed before an audience of two, her parents. Every grade, every accolade, was a step towards the fulfilment of a collective dream. However, beneath the veneer of academic excellence and those extracurricular triumphs, lay a simmering pressure cooker of expectation and fear. Jennifer's response to this was to weave a tapestry of deceit, a world in which every failure was hidden, hidden behind a fabricated tale of success. This duplicity would become the cornerstone of her double life, setting the stage for the tragic events that would follow. On the night of November the 8th, 2010, the quiet suburb of Markham, Ontario, became the backdrop for an event that would shock and captivate the nation. 
This particular evening was to be the dramatic crescendo of Jennifer Pan's carefully constructed world of lies. A world that had allowed her to navigate the chasm between the reality of her failures and the facade of her successes that she presented to her parents. The stage was set, and the actors, unbeknownst to them, were about to play their parts in a tragedy driven by desperation and deceit. As dusk fell and the lights of the Pan household flickered to life, there was nothing to suggest that this night would be unlike any other. Bish Ha and Hua Han Pan, after years of hard work and sacrifice, settled into their routine, comforted by the belief that their family was on the path to success. A path they had paved with the expectations placed upon Jennifer. Jennifer, meanwhile, was entangled in a web of her own making. One that required an elaborate and dangerous plan to sever those ties and remove her from the web of expectation that bound her. The clock ticked towards the appointed hour and the quiet of the suburban evening was shattered as three assailants, hired by Jennifer, forcibly made their way into the Pan residence. This invasion was not random. It was a carefully orchestrated assault, an assault on the very foundation of a family that had strived for nothing but the best for their children. Bish Ha and Hua Han Pan, caught completely off guard, found themselves facing a nightmare scenario. Their home, once a haven of security and love, was now a stage for a violent reckoning. Jennifer Pan cast herself in the role of a victim, a part she played with a chilling effectiveness as her own parents were bound and confronted with imminent threat to their lives, Jennifer's own bindings were superficial, a deceitful ploy to place herself beyond suspicion. The intruders, following the script laid out by Jennifer, subjected her parents to a brutal and relentless attack. The violence that was unleashed upon both of them was savage and personal, a stark manifestation of the betrayal that lay at the very heart of this tragedy. In the aftermath of the assault, the Pan household was left in turmoil. Bish Ha Pan, a mother who had dedicated her life to the future of her children, succumbed to her injuries. Her dreams and sacrifices extinguished in an instant. Hui Han Pan, despite the grave wounds inflicted upon him, survived. A testament to a will to live that defied the odds. And his survival would later become a critical piece in unravelling the truth behind the events of this horrific night. Jennifer's initial portrayal as the surviving victim of a purported home invasion 
began to crumble under the weight of scrutiny. The investigation that followed would peel back the layers of deception, revealing the depth of Jennifer's betrayal. A betrayal not born of malice, but of a misguided attempt to escape a life that felt more like a prison than a home. The hours of November the 8th, 2010, were indeed a macabre dance of deceit and betrayal, choreographed with deadly precision. But as the sun rose on the aftermath, the true horror of what had been done in the name of freedom and escape began to come into focus. You see, the consequences of Jennifer Pan's actions would extend far beyond the immediate tragedy, leaving an indelible scar on all of those touched by the events of that night. The orchestration of this crime, the cold calculation with which Jennifer manipulated both the assailants and the narrative presented to the police, revealed a chilling detachment from the gravity of her own actions. It was an act that would not only devastate her family, but begin the unravelling of her meticulously crafted lies. The aftermath of the crime saw Jennifer Pan cast in the role of a grieving daughter, a victim of a random act of violence that had shattered her family. However, as the investigation deepened, that facade began to crumble. The detective work, a testament to both the ingenuity and dogged determination of the law enforcement officials involved, peeled away the layers of Jennifer's deception. In the aftermath of the harrowing event of November the 8th, the investigation into the attack on the Pam family unfolded with meticulous care. The initial portrayal of the incident as a violent home invasion began to show cracks under the weight of evidence and scrutiny. Central to dismantling Jennifer Pan's narrative were three key investigative tools. Cell phone records, surveillance footage, and a comprehensive series of interviews. Each of these elements played a crucial role in constructing a chronological sequence of events that starkly contrasted Jennifer's version of that night's horrors. The first breakthrough came with the analysis of cell phone records. Investigators meticulously combed through calls and messages, tracing the digital footprints left behind by Jennifer and the hired assailants. What emerged was a damning pattern of communication, a silent witness to the conspiracy that unfolded in the days and hours leading up to the attack. These records revealed an intricate web of coordination and planning, directly linking Jennifer to the individuals who carried out the assault on her own family. The timestamps and frequency of these communications painted a detailed picture of premeditation, casting a shadow of doubt over Jennifer's claims of innocence. Parallel to the analysis of cell phone data, the examination of surveillance footage from around the Pan residence and neighbouring areas provided a visual account of the assailant's movements. 
Video evidence contradicted Jennifer's narrative of random violence by unknown intruders, showing, instead, a calculated arrival and departure that aligned suspiciously with the timeline she'd given. This footage, devoid of the expected panic or randomness of a typical home invasion, suggested a level of familiarity and purpose inconsistent with Jennifer's story. The cold, hard clarity of video images served to further dismantle her account, adding visual proof to the growing body of evidence against her. The third pillar of the investigative approach involved conducting a series of interviews with Jennifer, her family members, friends and known associates. These interviews were designed to cross-reference Jennifer's account with those of others and to probe for inconsistencies or corroborations. Through these conversations, investigators encountered varying degrees of suspicion, disbelief and, occasionally, critical information that contradicted Jennifer's statements. These interviews also uncovered the dual life Jennifer had been leading, filled with lies about her academic achievements and employment status, which provided further insight into her motive and state of mind. As these interviews progressed, a pattern of deceit emerged, shedding light on Jennifer's capacity for both manipulation and falsehoods. The people closest to Jennifer, once blinded by trust or affection, began to see the cracks in her narrative, contributing pieces to the puzzle that the investigators were diligently assembling. With every piece of evidence, every snippet of conversation captured on cell phones, every frame of video footage and every contradictory statement gathered in interviews, investigators constructed a timeline that starkly contradicted Jennifer's account. This timeline not only illustrated the premeditated nature of the crime, but also highlighted Jennifer's direct involvement in the orchestrated attack on her parents. Each piece of evidence served as a stepping stone towards the truth. The comprehensive approach, combining technological evidence with human testimony, allowed investigators to get through the deception and reveal the grim reality of a daughter plotting against her own parents. A meticulous reconstruction of events would eventually bring Jennifer Pan to justice for her role in the tragic and senseless violence inflicted upon her own family. Jennifer's eventual confession, a pivotal moment in the intricate tapestry of investigation and interrogation, did not come easily or swiftly. Instead, it was the result of a meticulous and strategic application of psychological pressure coupled with an undercurrent of empathetic engagement, carefully crafted by seasoned investigators. This approach was designed to penetrate the layers of Jennifer's defences, to reach the core of her being and extract the truth that she'd so elaborately concealed. 
In the days following the attack, as the initial shock began to subside and the forensic evidence started to come in and paint a picture that contradicted the narrative of a simple home invasion, the focus of the entire investigation increasingly turned towards Jennifer. Detectives observed inconsistencies in her story, peculiarities in her behaviour, and a lack of genuine emotional distress that one would expect from someone who'd just seen the murder of their mother and the attempted murder of their father. As Jennifer was brought in for questioning, the investigators were prepared for a delicate operation. They knew they were dealing with someone who'd gone to great lengths to orchestrate a facade of victimhood. The interrogation room became a stage for a psychological chess game, with every question carefully posed to challenge Jennifer's version of events without pushing her into retreat. The breakthrough came when investigators, having built a rapport with Jennifer, began to apply a mix of empathetic listening with pointed, evidence-based challenges to her story. They presented the discrepancies in her accounts against the undeniable facts uncovered during the investigation. Phone records, forensic evidence and testimonies that contradicted her timeline of events were all laid out before her. Not accusatorily, but as matters of fact that needed explanation. It was in this environment of heightened tension where the fabric of her constructed reality was being unpicked stitch by stitch. And Jennifer began to show signs of capitulation. The psychological pressure, the realisation that the evidence was insurmountable, and perhaps a latent desire for relief from the burden of her lies began to erode her resolve. Her confession, when it finally came, was not a dramatic outpouring of guilt, but rather a gradual acknowledgement of her role in the events of November the 8th. It was a moment charged with the raw emotion of a life unravelling, as Jennifer detailed the planning of the attack, her motivations and the depth of her deception. This confession, a mixture of factual recounting and emotional revelation, marked a turning point in the investigation. It confirmed the suspicions that had been forming and provided a harrowing glimpse into the depths of her deception. Jennifer's admission of guilt was a cathartic moment for the investigation team, but it was also a stark reminder of the complex web of human emotions and motivations that lay at the heart of this tragic case. Her confession would become a key piece of evidence, basically sealing her fate in the judicial process that was to follow. It was a testament to the investigative team's skill in navigating the psychological landscape of an individual who had, until that point, successfully misled almost everyone in her life.
The trial of Jennifer Pan was a spectacle that caught the public's imagination and laid bare the intricate details of her plot against her parents. The courtroom became a battleground where the complexities of familial obligation, the immigrant experience and the dark potential of human nature were all dissected under the scrutiny of the law. The prosecution's narrative was one of cold, calculated betrayal. A tale of a daughter who, feeling trapped by the expectations placed upon her, chose the most extreme form of rebellion. The defence, on the other hand, sought to portray Jennifer as a victim of circumstance, driven to desperation by a life of unrelenting pressure and control. Jennifer's conviction brought a semblance of closure to a case that had captivated many, Yet, it also opened a Pandora's box of questions about family dynamics, the immigrant experience, and the psychological toll of living a life built on lies. The psychological landscape of Jennifer Pan's case is a complex terrain, marked by the interplay of high parental expectations, the fear of failure, and the catastrophic breakdown of familial bonds. Jennifer's decision to orchestrate the attack on her parents can be seen as the ultimate manifestation of a psyche under siege, a desperate act by someone who felt they had no other means of escape. The case of Jennifer Pan has become a touchstone in the true crime community a story that challenges our understanding of crime, family and the lengths to which desperation can push every individual. It sparked a broader conversation about the betrayal of crime in the media, the ethics of true crime storytelling and the societal fascination with the macabre. In Jennifer Pan's story, the public found a narrative that was at once horrifying and compelling. A cautionary tale that resonated with the anxieties and pressures of contemporary life. As we conclude our exploration of the Jennifer Pan case, we're left to ponder the profound question it raises about the nature of crime, the depth of family loyalty, and the unseen struggles that can drive individuals to the brink of unimaginable choices. Jennifer Pan's story is a mirror reflecting the darkest potential of the human condition. A narrative that compels us to examine the shadows in our own lives and the societies we inhabit. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for choosing to spend your time with me here on your show the Deadly Countdown. And I'll speak to you all again next week for our season finale. But right now, for Jennifer Pan, Killers for Hire, let's stop the clock.